This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Welcome aboard. It's Thursday afternoon and it's back to the regular programming after last week where we had fun with the Radiothon. It is Fresh Thinking time. You are with Rabbi Shishla. We're together until 3 o'clock. And as always, you are welcome to be part of the conversation. So if you don't already have the numbers handy, this is what you do. WhatsApp number is 0618951019. You can also tweet at FM or you can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. You can SMS 34519 or you could phone 0101403020. Now what's uh, on my mind? I think it's on many of our minds and something I'd like to talk about today, I'd like you to participate in that, is the news coming out of Germany a few days ago where there was a recommendation that Jewish men should no longer wear a yarmulke, wear a kippah, wear a head covering in public because of rising anti-Semitism. I think that the statistic is that there's been a 20% increase in anti-Semitism in Germany, which, by the way, is not necessarily the highest increase, if that stat is correct. It's not necessarily the highest increase in the world, and that's possibly something we can also talk about in this concept, in this context. So anyway, so that's what they, they – there was this uh, this fellow who is the German commissioner for anti-Semitism, came out with a public statement initially – um, calling on people, recommending to people that they do not wear their yarmulke, their kippah, their head covering in public. And, of course, there was a lot of pushback from that and people saying, what kind of a thing is that? And can you believe that this is happening in Germany? And you, you know, there's obviously a lot of sentiment around it. So I'd like to throw the question out to you. What do you think is the correct approach to that kind of uh, recommendation or that kind of thinking or that kind of a climate? So if you live in an environment where you perhaps feel uncomfortable or maybe even threatened to outwardly display your Jewish identity, so how should you react to that? And I don't know if this is an easy question to answer because – it might be quite subjective to know just how much of a threat there is. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Love to hear your thoughts on that. You can at any point participate. 34519 if you're going to send in an SMS. Otherwise, you can WhatsApp 0618951019. And uh, I suspect we'll have quite a bit of conversation happening on Twitter as well at FM. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Okay, so here we are, and we're talking today about things developing in the world. I think Germany might just be a symptom of things that are happening in other places. And uh, I don't really want to turn this into a whole conversation about anti-Semitism and how bad it is. But rather, um, I just want to talk about what would you do? What would you do? So here you've got this scenario where there appears to be a rising anti-Semitism, and so that advice comes from people in high places, people who have uh, authority, and say, listen here, you should not wear your yarmulke. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. You attract undue attention to yourself, and the result of that might be something which is completely negative. So what would you do? What do you think that you should do? As predicted, I thought we'd have um, a response immediately online at Chai FM or directly at Ravashish. Here's a tweet. Somebody says, I think the decision must remain with the individual. It is a very difficult and delicate decision to be forced to make. And each must come to the best decision for themselves. Well, I think the reality is we all acknowledge that these are the kinds of decisions that we make as individuals. And the truth is, all decisions that we make, we have to make as individuals. All we can do as a community, all we can do as leadership 
All that we can do as the rabbis is explore guidance from our from our wisdom from the Torah. You know what what does the Torah say in this kind of a case? Nobody can make you decide one way or the other. So I don't believe that that's the purpose of this conversation to force anybody into making a decision one way or the other. But let's just talk about it. What do you think? I think there's, to me, there's two streams to this conversation. The one is, what do you feel as an individual? And the other is, what is the Torah's take on such a situation? So people turn around and say, listen, don't attract undue attention to yourself by outwardly expressing your Judaism. So obviously we know that the Torah believes very strongly that you have to do things that protect your life. We know that. What does the Torah say, though? At, at which point? How does it work? How do you determine so-called the, the level of threat? How do you determine at which point it is that you have to start making concessions or compromising your religious practice in order to protect yourself? At, at what point is it really a threat? It's very interesting. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to go to Istanbul to visit the Jewish community there. And uh, I, I was there for a very short time. I had the opportunity to speak to the community, which was very interesting because English is not their first language and I cannot speak Turkish. So it was very interesting to kind of speak in a very simple English and uh, slowly. <laughs> so, you know, so people could stop at any point and say, I didn't quite get that. And it's a magnificent city for those people who've been there. Istanbul is a fascinating part of the world. It's this con- confluence of the African, Asian and European cultures. Very, very interesting place. Um, it's an ancient place. So there's ancient architecture, there's these incredible markets. And obviously, having been there for the first time, I wanted to get around a little bit and see a little bit of what the city had to offer. And I, I even had a guide, one of the junior rabbis over there who took me around. But I was told that to walk around in Istanbul, I had to wear a baseball cap or, or some kind of a cap just to obscure the yarmulke. And I'm thinking to myself, are you for real? I mean, I think I'm very obviously Jewish. Apparently, you know, you look at, you look at my face. I think I have Jewish features. And maybe you can argue that there are a lot of Semitic features in that part of the world. But Jewish features are Jewish features. And then I've got a beard. And yes, I know a lot of people in that part of the world run around with beards, but then those people don't typically wear baseball caps. And, uh, maybe I could have tucked my tzitzis in. The bottom line, the point I'm trying to make is sometimes we believe that we can hide, camouflage our Jewishness. I don't know if we can really. It was a very interesting experience. And we went around and people were quite friendly and it was a nice experience. We got to see some of the classic sites and Dafka on the tram in Istanbul. Some guy picks a fight and starts to say, uh, where are you from? And I just said, I'm from South Africa. And it turned into, well, he, he tried to egg me on. Obviously, I wasn't taking any of it and didn't, uh, didn't take the bait. But the point is, now I wonder, did, did not wearing the yarmulke actually make a difference? Didn't make, I mean, I, I did wear a yarmulke. I just wore a baseball cap over it. It, did, it didn't seem to really protect me. But then again, some people might have other experiences and some people might have very strong feelings about this. I'm certain that if you had to speak to people who came from oppressive history, so let's say people who lived behind the Iron Curtain or somebody who was a Holocaust survivor, they might have a very different view of this to say our modern people who feel this is a, you know, we're living in, Germany's a democratic society. Why should I have to hide my religious symbols just because some people 
can't seem to control themselves because they have too much hatred in their heart or whatever the particular issue is. So it could be a very different scenario for us today to what it might have been for our grandparents, as an example. He has a WhatsApp from Hoda who says, uh, when I was a little girl growing up in Pretoria and being sworn at, my mother made me take off my Magen David. Um, one specially now draw attention to Judaism. I think there might be a, uh, might be a little bit of a, t- uh, uh, one of those autocorrect things that happened over there. But okay, but there's the point. There's a story. There's a real story of somebody growing up here in South Africa and experiencing anti-Semitism. And I do believe that there are many people who had experienced, uh, occasions of anti-Semitism here in this country. And it's no different, I suppose, to any other place in the world. That's the truth that, there are anti-Semites in every single country. It's not necessarily a reflection on the majority. It's not a reflection on government policy, but it's something that you have to confront. So, so he, but he has a first, first person story, Hoda telling us that in Pretoria, her mother told her not to walk around with a Magen David in order not to draw attention to herself that she should be obviously Jewish and uh, not to therefore land up with anti-Semitic slurs being thrown at her. So I wonder if everybody would feel the same way. I wonder. Now, here's an interesting thing. Here's a fellow, he's called, his name is Rabbi Arnie, who tweeted me and sent a link to his blog post on Times of Israel. It's a little bit of a reminder, I think, that I'm behind on, on blogging. But anyway, so, and he says, he talks about this uh, Dr. Felix Klein, who's the Germany's commissioner for anti-Semitism, who said that people shouldn't wear their yarmulke, etc. And his question is, does that mean we now just accept that anti-Semitism is part of the society? It's part of what he argues over there in his, in his blog post. And I think it's a, it's a great point, because if... The response to anti-Semitism is say, okay, 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 we'll modify our lifestyle and living again. Remember, in a democratic country, we're not talking about living in Nazi Germany. We're talking in living in postmodern Germany. We're talking, you know, in the 21st century. So if a person says, okay, you know what, there's anti-Semites out there, so I'm, I'm going to kind of double down and say, all right, you know what, we'll cut our losses. We're not going to walk around the street flaunting our Judaism because we, we don't want to attract negative attention. Is that in itself just saying, well, that means that anti-Semitism is here to stay. It's real. It's something you're not going to beat. So just, you know, take m- miss that exit. Take a, a, a detour. Don't get involved in that kind of a confrontation. Is that really the way that a Jewish person should behave. You know, when I hear that and, and, and see it proposed in that way, it reminds me of the story of Purim. Remember that the story of Purim, obviously you had a villain and you had a hero. And the villain of the story is Haman, who is your classic anti-Semite. You might say he is one of the icons, the paragons of anti-Semitism. You have him on the one hand, and then you have the hero, Mordechai, who is the icon of being Jewish, on the other hand. And big deal for Haman was that he had this thing that people had to bow down to him and according to opinions in the Talmud he had a little mini idol hanging around his neck and he wanted people to bow down to that idol and, and Mordechai said there's no way, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to bow down to it and by doing so he endangered not only himself but by extension the whole Jewish people and I know it's not the same story because that was a proposal of serving idolatry which is for us a cardinal sin and it's something that you rather sacrifice your life and don't actually contravene so that's different of course but but just think of the attitude just think of the perspective and and also think of how the story ended 
Mordechai stood his ground. He brought everybody on board. The whole Jewish world at that time was behind him, supportive, not willing to back down on what they believed in. And the end of the story was that Haman is the one who got taken out, not Mordechai. So there is definitely something to be said about a Jewish person having pride in our Judaism and the fact that that alone is often, often, not always, what diffuses the situation or weakens the cowardly anti-Semite. What do you think about it? WhatsApp, oh, 618 You can SMS 34519. You'd like to call in? That's 0101403020. Otherwise, tweet at Chai FM or tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. It's interesting because I was uh, referring to the blog post by Rabbi Ani. Um, it's uh, Rabbi Ani Samlin. So he says over there, he has a quotation from a book that I'm actually not familiar with, a book called A Certain People. And he says that the author over there, a guy called Charles Silberman, recalls how he was a child, or I don't know if he was a child, but he was, he, he was certainly younger, and he recalls leaving a funeral and still had his kippah on, and his mother says to him, take it off, it's not nice. So sometimes I wonder if there's a little bit of our own self-doubt or insecurity that comes to play in this kind of a situation. You know, when you start to talk about taking off your yarmulke in the face of of anti-Semitism, is that necessarily um, just about the anti-Semitism or is it sometimes that we, we feel a little bit uncomfortable? You know, we don't want to necessarily be identified in a particular way. Not only because people might hate us, but because they might think that we're backwards or something along those lines. Flora on Twitter asks, to die? Question mark. Each one has a family. I was told not to use a Magen David in Norway. Okay, that's interesting. I don't know much about what uh, Jewish life is like in Norway, although I did have Pesach this year from Norway. So that was the first glimpse that I got. And to be perfectly honest, it sounds like a great place and I would love to go visit. So I don't know what the anti-Semitism is like there. Now, to die, question mark. You see, that's exactly the point. That is maybe something that's buried quite deeply in our collective Jewish psyche is a long, bloody history where um, where anti-Semitism did translate into violence, and that violence translated into killing. So that was very, very real. I don't think that's what we're talking about in Germany today. Maybe maybe it is, but I don't think so. We're talking about a democratic country, and yes, there is a lot of anti-Semitism around, much more than there should be and much more than there has been for years. But it's not institutionalized. It's not the government. We're not talking about Nazi Germany where they're marching through the streets rounding people up. We're talking about the fact that there are some people who, should they be caught, would have to face the rule of law if they attacked somebody anti-Semitically. I mean, look, for example, in New York. So assuming the statistic is right about Germany where anti-Semitism has gone up 20-odd percent, that's nothing like New York where it's gone up apparently 80 percent in the last two, three years. It's an incredible statistic if you think about it. That's New York City, arguably one of the most Jewish places on earth and a place of democracy and liberal values and people getting attacked on the street again and again and again. Now, what happens over there is we know what happens. There is CCTV footage. People start investigations. Perpetrators caught. They are prosecuted. Nobody claims in an official capacity that that kind of behavior is all right. So I think to start saying that people's lives are being threatened, my, I, I don't think that in the West we're 
really in that position right now. It's definitely scary. Although then you'll turn around and you'll say, but look at the San Diego shooting. There's, and look at the Pittsburgh shooting. There are people who walked into a Jewish environment specifically because it was a Jewish environment and shot and killed people. So it is a frightening thing. But then would not wearing a yarmulke have changed that in any way? Because what's the next step? step? What are we going to say? Close down shuls? I mean, we certainly don't believe that. You look at the slogan of our local CSO, it's protecting Jewish life and the way of life because it's that important that you don't just fold because there's, because there's a threat. And, uh, you know, so where do you draw the line? Don't wear your yarmulke or don't go to shul or close the shul. You know, how do you do I don't, I don't know. I don't think that it's a Jewish thing to just fold. Here's another WhatsApp also from Hoda who says one should not draw attention to Judaism. Hashem wants us to protect our lives, so unfortunately we do hide. Antisemitism has never gone away, and I don't think it will. And then Hoda concludes by saying, with my mouth, I proudly say I am Jewish. And I think it's a very good thing to be proud of. We've brought so much value to society, to the world at large, to the course of history. It's something to be incredibly proud of, and if there are people who have their own insecurities, and for that reason they feel the need to attack us, well, quite frankly, it's their issue. It's not because there's something wrong with us. It's because, as has been proven again and again and again throughout history, all those people who start off anti-Semitic land up on the wrong side of history. We know that. It's, uh, it's there you know, to, to read and to see and to experience. So, But I don't get it. If you're not afraid to say that you're proudly Jewish, then why not wear something that shows that you're proudly Jewish, like a yarmulke or a chai on your chain or a mug and David? Or uh, somebody said, somebody actually said to me, uh, I can't remember who it was, and I've lost the tweet now, but somebody said a tichel, right? A head covering for a woman. Why? Why? Um, you know, why is that something that we should not be doing? Okay? So... <clears throat> So, so funny. Okay, it's a little bit off topic, but somebody replied to something on Twitter and somebody else thought I didn't get it because of the way I responded. But I did get it. I did get it. And I'm not going to bring it on air, but I did get it. So, yeah, let's talk about this concept of not wearing a yarmulke because there is anti-Semitism. It doesn't necessarily only refer to a yarmulke. I suppose it would be anything that you would wear, any apparel that you'd wear that would show you to be Jewish. Is that a good idea? Is that something to be avoided? Is it something that we should be really worried about? Um, okay, here. There we go. Sometimes people just say things that don't necessarily answer the question, right? The typical Jewish way. How do you answer a question? With a question, so that doesn't really necessarily help us. Here's Bill. Bill says it is a personal call. Now, listen to what he says, because I think it's really interesting. Bill says we are permitted to shield or even not light candles on Shabbos if we fear for our lives. So it stands to reason that wearing of apparel that can be, that, that can be optional in those circumstances. In other words, I think what he's saying is that to wear something that overtly identifies you as Jewish is not something that you have to necessarily stand your ground on because at the end of the day, um, you don't have to light Shabbos candles, theoretically. If there is a threat to life. But then he finishes off by saying this. That's why I find his post interesting. He says, my own stance is that I move my candles closer to the window. And wear a necklace, kippah and ring. And I'm assuming that the nature of both that necklace and that ring is something of a Jewish symbol. Most likely a mug and David. Now, we know that Jews can be dafka. We know that it's a very much part of our collective culture. That if you push us in a particular direction, we will push back 
in the opposite direction. We've seen that a lot in our history. This is not about being dafka. This is about saying, hang on a second, do we allow ourselves to be cowed into a corner and made to to relinquish something that we really care about just because there's pressure or just because there's somebody who's got too much hatred in their heart or because they've got nothing better to do with their lives or because they're jealous or whatever it is. Is that good enough reason for us to back down? Now, um, I waited for this, and, and here's the response. This is Curious Trisha on Twitter who said that uh, each person should make their decision. So I asked back, what would you do. And that's the thing over here. You know, it's, it's very theoretical to have this conversation if you're not the people living through it. So we're lucky over here. We're in South Africa. You can walk in the street wearing any paraphernalia that's Jewish. And by and large, you will not have an issue. From my own personal experience, I have been exposed to anti-Semitism. Most of the time, it was not in this country. Uh, for example, uh, if I compare how much time I've lived in South Africa, which is my whole life, compared to how much time I visited in Australia, which is a handful of times, the anti-Semitism I experienced there far outshadows, far overshadows, not just in um, ratio of anti-Semitism, but in, but in actual total amount of anti-Semitism is much more there than here. So it's difficult to comment on something until you are in that position. And so I said, back to Curious Trisha, so what would you do? And the response is, I don't know. And I think that that is an honest response. Sometimes we just don't know what we would do. Somebody actually called me out on that also uh, on Twitter and said, well, what would you do? Would you wear your kippah? And my response was, I certainly hope that I would. I mean, right now I feel absolutely I would do that. But you don't know how you are in that situation. So what would you do if you were living in Germany right now and you were advised not to wear a kippah, would you not wear it? Love to hear your thoughts on oh eight six one eight nine five one zero one nine. That's our WhatsApp line. You can SMS three four five one nine. Looks like most of the activity today is happening on Twitter, which is often what happens at Chai FM or directly to me at Rabbi Shish. Now, in these challenging times, many people are under pressure, and for some, it can all become too much. It's very real that. So who does one turn to? Chai FM will be starting a helpline later this year, and we're looking for compassionate, caring volunteers to train as call center counselors. If you have a background or an interest in counseling and you want to find out more, email helpline at chaifm.com. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. That's actually quite a nice initiative, and I think many people will agree it's not something to sneeze at. It's a very real thing. So, what is your take? If you were put under the uh, pressure of Jews in Germany and you were told that you should not be wearing Jewish paraphernalia because it might identify you and expose you to anti-Semitism, what would you do? First thing that came to my mind, actually, when, uh, when I was thinking about this conversation, is we have a book of law. It's called the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. It's the guide on everything that you're supposed to do as a Jewish person, from the minute you wake up in the morning, right through the day, right through every day on the calendar, right through every life cycle experience. And right at the beginning of that book, The Code of Jewish Law, there is a paraphrase from a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, The Ethics of the Fathers. In fact, the chapter that we just read, um, you know, we're reading Pirkei Avos at this time of the year. And it goes like this. It says that there was a sage called Yehuda ben Tamer, and he taught 
that one of the things that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to emulate certain creatures of the wild. So you emulate a lion to have the strength to get up in the morning and go out there and do everything that you need to do to serve God. And one of the things he says is you have to be as bold as a leopard. That's what he says. You've got to be bold as a leopard. Of course, for those of us who love the Kruger, that's something you really resonate with. Now, the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, says, what does it mean to be bold as a leopard? And it says, and what's fascinating about this is it's one of the very first things that we're taught. This is like an opening, founding principle of being Jewish. Be bold as a leopard. What does that mean? Says the Shulchan Aruch, Al yevoish mipnei hamal'igim. Do not be embarrassed in the face of those people who would attack you. Now, let's be clear, is verbal attacks. We're not talking about physical attacks. We're talking about people who will scoff and scorn and talk you down because you're, because you're Jewish. So it's like an opening founding principle of Judaism. Don't cower in the face of that kind of scorn. That was the first thing that crossed my mind when I came across this conversation about no, being told, don't wear your yarmulke. You have to remember that there were people in our history who, yes, it's not a requirement from the Torah for a man to cover his head. It's not. But we do it, and it's a tradition that has been part of our society forever. And there were people who literally risked their lives, literally, just to be able to keep that kippah on. There's a very famous story about the brothers of Slavita who ran a printing press, and they, there was a libel against them, a terrible story, and they had to endure lashes, like literally walking through a row of people, soldiers on either side, and they were just whipping them and whipping them. And the one brother's yarmulke fell off while he was walking through, and he wouldn't go further. He wouldn't walk without his yarmulke. They were slapping him and, and whipping him, and he just wouldn't walk, wouldn't walk. So... It's a fascinating thing to imagine that there were times in our history where people risked their lives to be able to hang on to that tradition. So that's a little bit of the positioning of how a Jewish person is supposed to think, that if somebody is looking dafka to undermine our sense of identity, then that is, in fact, a bit of a wake-up call for us to have that identity. And, and really, we shouldn't need that. Ideally, we shouldn't need that. You know, it's like the Talmud says about Pharaoh. It says, Uparoi hikriv, that when the Jewish people were at the edge of the sea and before the major miracle happened of the splitting of the sea, and Pharaoh was right behind them. So what happened was, the Torah says, Paroi hikriv. Literally, what it's supposed to mean is, Pharaoh approached. But it's the wrong grammar. It's actually the wrong grammar. The word hikriv in Hebrew would imply that you cause somebody else to approach. And the Talmud says, that uh, what what Pharaoh was able to do just by coming close to the Jewish people, basically threatening them in terms of awakening their sense of identity and commitment, was greater than the prophets could do. Likewise, there's another Talmudic reference that what, what Haman could do with his signature, it's a little different because there he was threatening annihilation. But the, the concept is the same. Sometimes that's what happens to us, that we have our own sources and our own people who encourage us and try to inspire us, and it doesn't really work. And suddenly, out of left field, you have this anti-Semitic voice, and then we say, ah, 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 you are not going to make me uh, su submit. You're not going to make me surrender my Jewish identity. And I think that that's a little bit of what's happening over here, where the minute there was this 
suggestion that Jews should take off the yarmulkes. Straight away, it was pushed back to say, why isn't it that you're rather calling on Germans to don a yarmulke in solidarity with the Jewish people? And in fact, that actually is what, what landed up becoming the call to the public. Now, the WhatsApp over here that says, lighting Shabbat candles and having an Israeli flag in my home and sidurs, etc., yet outside, no, do not flaunt would love to, but it's dangerous. I think it's sad that we feel that it's dangerous to publicly display ourselves as being Jewish because at the end of the day, there are many people who are happy and comfortable to display the particular, um, whatever it is, the particular mode of behavior or the particular language or the particular clothing of their respective traditions. And they're not afraid of it, even though sometimes they do land up being mistreated for it. You know, it's, I think it's something we could learn from. Maybe, maybe we, 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 we just slink away a little bit too quickly. Here's another WhatsApp from Hoda. Hoda is going to win today's prize. So today, so Hoda says, Oh, and I do have mezuzahs on all my doors. Does not matter what they say. The fear is what will they do? We have children, etc. The animal symbol of Am Yisrael is the lion to have courage to be strong, to be strong and keep our power yet, dot, dot, dot. But I think that's exactly the yet is the thing. You know, sometimes we need to connect back with our original heroes who, who didn't just back down, even in the face of tremendous threat against them. So if theoretically a person was in a situation where there was an imminent and obvious danger to their life, that would be a different discussion. I don't think that's what we're dealing with right now, certainly not in Germany. Rising anti-Semitism, yes. A concern, yes. Is it at the point of being a direct threat to people's lives? Don't know. I don't live there, so I don't know. I suspect it isn't. And is the correct response to get everybody to get rid of their yarmulkes? I personally don't feel that way. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. But then again, I'm sure there are different people who feel differently, and I'm sure that if you, if I was living there, I'd probably also see it differently. Here's uh, Rena who says, is there such a rule that we must not tempt fate? Very interesting point. Is there a rule that we must not tempt fate? We know that the Talmud, for example, says that you may not, you shouldn't even speak in a negative way. That's like tempting fate. Don't speak negatively. Don't say, oh, that's what's going to happen. Watch. That's what's going to happen because that attracts that kind of an energy. Yes, true. Likewise, we also have the concept of don't tempt fate as in don't put yourself into a dangerous situation. A person can't, for example, you know the old story about walking under a ladder? It's actually brought in Jewish law. Maimonides speaks about it. Don't walk under an unstable ladder. It doesn't say just any ladder. Unstable because somebody might fall or uh, don't walk in. in the, the Talmud tells us don't enter into a structure that is not a secure structure because that's what we mean when we say don't tempt fate. Don't put yourself into a situation that is an outwardly dangerous situation. Again, I think this is all going to boil down to where do you draw the line because it's difficult. It's difficult to know where you're supposed to draw the line. It's difficult to know at which point is a threat more than just a threat. At which point is it actually a threat to life? But I think as a guiding principle, the guiding principle should be that tempting fate, no, that's not this conversation. It's not about tempting fate. We're not yet in a situation. I don't believe that we're yet in a situation where we're tempting fate by being proud enough to stand up and behave in a way that is democratically supported by the government of the country that we live in. And that includes Germany as well and certainly includes the United States. I mean, what are we going to say? Again, the statistics imply that in New York, anti-Semitism has gone up 
considerably higher, probably four times as much as it has in Germany. Nobody's going to suggest for one moment that in New York people should hide the Jewish identity. So I think maybe there's the word Germany for us is, is a, is a trigger, and maybe that makes us react in a way that we wouldn't necessarily react in different circumstances. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Some really insightful stuff coming through. You're welcome to join that conversation to WhatsApp 0618951019. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So it happens sometimes that a person will dive into the conversation with one of those big ladles and really stir up the pot. And uh, that's the message I just got now. So we've been talking about the fact, the question of whether or not you should stop wearing a yarmulke or something else that identifies you as being Jewish in a situation where there's rising anti-Semitism. And the, you know, there's different views on that clearly. And personally, I believe that we're not dealing with a situation where there's imminent danger to life. And the worst thing to do is to feed the fire and say, you're right. You're, you're, you people don't like us. So therefore we're just going to try and disappear. Don't think that works. It's like the bully mentality, you know. The, the victim has to sometimes stand up, well, not sometimes. The victim has to stand up to the bully. Otherwise, the bully just preys on that weakness. So that's the one-sided argument. Then somebody sends me a message now, which completely stirs the pot. And their question is: Hang on a second. Let's take a let's let's change the situation. Let's not talk about a, a place or an environment where there is already rising anti-Semitism. Let's talk about an environment where there's no a, a obvious anti-Semitism. I don't think there's an environment where there's no anti-Semitism at all, but where there's no visible anti-Semitism. Now, this person says maybe there also you should not outwardly identify as being Jewish because that gives the impression that you consider yourself Jewish first. And that in itself might stir up anti-Semitism. Well, what do you think about that? I know it does take the conversation to a different place, but that's the great thing about these conversations. We don't necessarily know exactly where we're going to land up. So there's a really, really interesting question. And I, and I, I personally have very strong feelings on this, as you can well imagine. I suspect I'm not the only one. But there's a proposition that says, you know what? Jews should not outwardly identify as Jewish anywhere because that does A – Make us look like we're Jewish first and B, by extension, that stirs up anti-Semitism. Well, I have two questions about this. The first question is, number one, is it wrong to identify as Jewish first? Why? Why would that be a problem? What's wrong with identifying as Jewish first? It doesn't mean that, we, that we're not patriotic. It doesn't mean that we don't contribute to the country that we live in or to the society that we belong to. It's just saying, this is my primary identity. Is there something wrong with that? And I personally really feel not only is there not anything wrong with it, I think it's critically important to say, yes, yes, I identify as Jewish first. That's exactly what it is because Jews have been taken from pillar to post all over the world who knows how many times. And we we could not identify ourselves as the locale of where we lived because we don't necessarily live there for long enough. So, yes, we're Jewish. That's the one thing that's going to be standard wherever we go. It's going to it's not going to shift. Not only that, it is the essence of who we are. Your identity, because of the nation that you happen to live in, that is not the essence of who you are. Not at all. In fact, what would happen? I mean, it doesn't happen really in today's world. But what would happen back in the day when the, the days of uh, colonial, co colonialism, right? And you had people who lived under a particular banner, and that was the country that they belonged to. And a colonialist came in, overtook that country, gave it a new name, new identity, new anthem, new new patriotism that was expected. So, so who am I if I identified it as a, as a particular citizen and I'm a different citizen? 
or or what's the common language between the immigrant and his child who's who's naturalized you know if it's all based just on your country that you belong to so yes 100% we have an alachic requirement to be a patriotic and supportive of the country that, and appreciative of the country that we live in if it's a country that allows us to practice as jewish people then yes we should Contribute in every way. Pay taxes. If there's conscription, I suppose, you know, that becomes a little bit uh, of, of an issue, right? Whether, where, where does that army fight and do you support it? Fine. Leave that debate. But, but generally speaking, you have to support your country. It doesn't mean that you put that ahead of your core identity. Your core identity, for us being Jewish, that's your soul. That's who you really are. You should never, ever be ashamed to say, this is who I am. It's a tremendous respect for Jewish people in the world. Yes, there are anti-Semites. You're right. But there's a tremendous respect for Jewish people. And guess what? I think that most of the time that that respect happens is for Jewish people who have respect for themselves. Chief Rabbi, well, uh, previously the Chief Rabbi of England, Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs, famously says that non-Jews respect Jews who respect Judaism. And that is an axiom. That's something that's been proven again and again through our history. So I, I think we've got a problem once we start going down that route of saying, well, maybe there's anti-Semitism lurking around the next corner, so let's already prepare for it now and hide our Jewish identity in case they're going to hate us for it. Number one, it's never worked. Assimilation in Germany before the, before the Nazis rose to power was at an incredible high didn't help, didn't stop the anti-Semitism from growing. Number two, if we are not clear about who we are, how do we expect anybody else to respect us for who we are? It's interesting because uh, the Torah reading that we'll read this coming Shabbos speaks about where God says, If you follow in my statutes, which essentially means if you live as a Jewish person is supposed to live, then I'll look after you. You'll have what you need. You'll, you'll have rain in the right times. It's, it's a powerful blessing that he offers. The sword will not pass through your land. In other words, not only will you not be the victim of war, but you won't even have material of war come through your country. But that's if you do what you're supposed to do. And I think a big part of this conversation is that we, we, we need to remember that what's kept Jews alive against the most incredible odds, and yes, I know where the other side of this argument goes, but what's kept us alive at the end of the day is God. We live on miracles. We live on miracles. I believe it was Ezra Weitzman who used to say, Jews do not believe in miracles. We rely on them. That That's the story of our lives. So if you want to keep that kind of connection alive, it's not going to help by saying, but I pretend not to have a relationship with the God who provides those miracles. It's quite important. It's quite important for us to recognize that there is a, two-way relationship over here. And yes, you can blame him for sending all those anti-Semites our way, but you have to credit him for allowing us to survive them because no other society that had been exposed to the kind of things that we'd been exposed to survived. So he clearly has our back. You want to know why he starts the trouble in the first place? Good question. Subject for another show. But he's got our back. And it's a two-way relationship, or at least it should be. Sometimes we think that we are in the driver's seat. Recently, somebody said a cute thing, told a story. I don't know if the story is true, but it's a good illustration about a fellow who gets into a car, and he notices that besides for the driver, there's a steering wheel in the back of the car as well. Behind the driver's seat, there's another steering wheel. And it looks identical to the real thing, and it moves. He says, I don't get it. What's that for? 
So the guy tells him, listen, my son is a little bit hyperactive, and whenever we'd get into the car, he would jump up and down and try and grab the steering wheel, literally, while I'm driving. He'd get out of his seatbelt, and he'd try and grab the steering wheel. So for his own safety, we put a steering wheel into the back of the car, and this way he has the illusion that he's in control. He believes that he's driving the car, and he makes his noises, and he turns the wheel, etc. And the person who shared this particular anecdote gave the very obvious interpretation of what it represents, and I think it's, I think it's true. And that is that God gives us the fake steering wheel and gives us the impression that we are in control. Truth of the matter is he's driving. The truth of the matter is he'll get us to the destination that we need to get to. And the only thing that we've got to make sure to do is not to grab the real wheel from him. You know, it's not to try and take control of our own lives. And, and it's very tempting. That's what happens over here. So that's why we've got to go back and say, what does the Torah say? What does the Torah say under these circumstances? There's no question about it that the Torah says that if we're in a situation where, God forbid, there is a direct threat to life, then life trumps observance of most things. There are, of course, exceptions to that rule. But if there's not a direct threat to life, there's just, you know, like when you get uh, a fake charge from an elephant in the Kruger Park. And it's really scary. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. Very frightening. There you are. You're in your car. The next thing is trumpets and, you know, starts pouring the ground or whatever. You get nervous. So the chap is, get out of there, <laughs> right? Or the chap is that if you are trapped, then you've got to stare this thing down, right? You, you've got to make sure that you don't, you don't actually show the fear because the fear will then make it come after you. Easier said than done. I once had that interaction ta- on, on a hike and there was this, uh, it looked to me like an Egyptian cobra, but then I don't really know snakes. And what are you supposed to do under those circumstances? Stand your ground. It's a lot Easier said than done. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I did not remember that that's what you're supposed to do. And I ran. Luckily, it didn't chase. Because I think they move faster than we move. So, yeah. you got to look. What does the Torah say? Because that's where God's in the driver's seat. And if, if the Torah says stand proud with Jewish pride. Because then you'll stand your enemy down. Because they're fundamentally anti-Semites to shoot their mouths off very often cowardly, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. So it's, it's not easy. It's not black and white. It's something to think about. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Okay, we, again, we're not saying be reckless. If you've just uh, joined the conversation, well, it's a bit late in the game, but we're talking today about the suggestion in Germany that Jews should no longer wear yarmulkes when they walk in public because of rising anti-Semitism. And I'm just testing it, whether that is or is not the correct approach. Um, here's Hoda again who says we're told to ha- be extra vigilant at, and our shuls have security and CCTV, etc. That tells you that there is a real threat. You're right. You are right. But again, our same security organizations never tell us that we should not wear a yarmulke. So, look, I don't think that this is one of those things that's black and white and I don't think it's one of those things that we can clarify. The reason I want to bring it up is because one thing that is important is that we don't scurry away from being openly Jewish if we don't have to. You know, if you have to, and if that's what the requirement is because of a real threat, then that's what you've got to do. You have to be pragmatic. But I, sometimes I worry, and, and that earlier message about not wearing things that identify you as being Jewish because then it will make people anti-Semitic. That's where we've got to be really, really, really concerned, you know, not to go down that route. The Torah tells us about the spies that Moses sent to check out the land of Canaan before they were supposed to acquire it and conquer it. And we know that the spies came back with the most devastatingly negative report. At least 10 of them did. And one of the things that they said was, we appeared in our eyes as grasshoppers, and so we appeared in the eyes of the residents of the locals. And the Talmud says, how could they know that? 
How could they know how, how they appeared in other people's eyes? I mean, you only really know what you know. You don't know what's going on in somebody else's mind. And so the Talmud gives a particular explanation, but there's a, another explanation, which is because they appeared in their own estimation as grasshoppers. In other words, because they felt weak, they projected that onto the locals and they imagined that the Canaanites assumed them to be weak. And that's what we need to be careful of. That was a terrible failure. It was a terrible failure in our history, and it landed up with the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years and that whole generation dying and losing the opportunity to go into the promised land. And it really boils down to the fact that they just didn't feel that they had the faith in God that is required, and they didn't have the strength of their convictions which is required. And we've got to be careful not to go into that space. We need a way to be able to discern how do I know objectively that there's a reason not to overtly show that I'm Jewish, or how do I know if maybe it's just me seeing myself as weak and therefore imagining that there's hatred towards me that's not necessarily there. I'll tell you from my own personal experience that I, I have been a victim of anti-Semitism on a number of occasions. But I'll tell you this, walking around as I do with a, a yarmulke and a beard and tits hanging out, by and large, the response from the average person on the street, especially in South Africa, by and large is utmost respect so often people come including this morning actually this morning uh, we have a, a very early minion at shul and i was walking to shul and a homeless guy walked past which is most unusual because we don't typically see homeless people walking in our area he was walking wrapped in a blanket and he came over to me and he said good morning and he said would you pray for me and and, and that's not something that you expect from an anti-Semite, right? I, I, I remember once I was boarding a plane and there was there had been a delay in security, so we were actually late to get on the plane here at Oar Tambo. And the guy who was helping us get through to make the plane in time, at the end he said to me, please would you, he says, you're a rabbi, please would you pay for me. I get shalom all the time. You walk our streets in Joburg and you have people greet you, Shabbat shalom. You get that here. So, that's because they identify us as being Jewish and they respect it. So, yes, there is anti-Semitism. But I think it's important for us to remember that there are a lot of people out there who have a very healthy, good and positive relationship with us. And we need to celebrate that and we need to interact with those people. And we have to show that we appreciate and that we care for them as they care for us. And often walking around wearing your Jewish identity on your sleeve only attracts good things. Please, God, that should be your experience. That should be all of our experiences. That should be what becomes the prevailing attitude in Germany and in the rest of the world. And let's not be afraid of who we are if we don't have to be. So thanks. There was some really insightful comment over there today, which I really appreciate. As always, till next time, have a wonderful Shabbos and a great week ahead.